You're listening to Vet Candy. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of Vet Candy IRL. I'm your host, Shannon Gregoire. So I think today we are focusing a little bit on our listeners that are fascinated by everything zoological, whether it's big cats to marine mammals to huge bird predators in the sky, anything that is living in the wild somewhere out in the world or in zoos and aquariums, this episode is just for you. So we have Associate Professor Dr. Tara Harrison, who is triple boarded the European College of Zoological Medicine, the American College of Zoological Medicine, and the American College for Preventative Medicine, which is just phenomenal. I just, all the letters behind her name is so impressive. Um, Please help me welcome Dr. Harrison. Hi, thank you. Hi, thank you for joining me today. I'm so excited to hear some of your stories and, you know, your path into zoological medicine. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. So, and I know you did a paper recently. So before we jump onto the paper, tell us a little bit about, you know, maybe the cliff notes of how you got into, you know, veterinary medicine and zoo med and what really led your passion there. Yeah, sure. So I became very interested in zoo medicine from a young age not necessarily veterinary medicine. I started volunteering at a zoo when I was 13 and I really wanted to be a zookeeper and my parents were not a fan. So I said, fine, I'll be a zoo vet. And that basically it was an act of rebellion. So I then, you know, continued volunteering there, applied for vet school, got into vet school, uh, did internships at Toledo Zoo and Wildlife Safari in Oregon. And also did a master's of preventive vet med at UC Davis, where I then worked on zoo pathology uh, for reprotracts with Dr. Munson. Uh, my research for my uh, MPVM was hyenas in the Masimara. And then I ultimately got my first zoo job at Potter Park Zoo in Michigan. And that's when it all started. From there, I then went to UC Davis and the Sacramento Zoo and was there for a bit. And now I'm here at NC State uh, teaching about zoo medicine and working with a whole bunch of different zoos in the state, uh, as well as consulting with them. Wow, that's pretty awesome. And do you have a favorite species that you love to work with? (laughs) Uh, So, you know, it can change by the day. That's kind of the whole point of doing zoo medicine is so I don't have to choose. I can work on anything in a day, but I am the species survival plan veterinarian for the lesser hedgehog, Tenrex, which are like hedgehogs. They're very cool. And then also tigers and toucans. I don't know why they're all these. Um, I also do tamarins too. So cotton tops and headed lion tamarins. So even on the ones I specialize in, I haven't actually chosen one. That's incredible. Just the diversity of species that the uh, zoo medicine colleagues of ours handle every day is phenomenal. I'm just blown away. (laughs) It's certainly quite a bit. And I mean, on any given day, I could be helping with a lion or an amphibian or a fish uh, or a bird. And most of the time at the vet school, we don't necessarily have zoo animals come into the vet school on a daily basis, but I certainly do consults for them. Um, 
you know, so I could be talking or providing medical information for pretty much anything at any given time. Yeah, that's really awesome. And sometimes, I mean, with the courses that we've had in zoo medicine, a little taste that we get in school, there's not always clear cut path for how to treat these animals. So, you know, what kind of things do you do or do you extrapolate from similar species when there isn't maybe a a well-known protocol for some situation that comes up that's pretty unique. Sure. Yeah. I mean, my research focuses on cancer in zoo and exotic animals. And frequently we have no idea what chemotherapy doses would work. And mm-hmm. even further than that, we don't even have the factor to calculate the milligrams per meter squared. I don't know the surface area of the animal. So I have to do quite a bit of extrapolation to try to determine that. Basically, we do the best we can. We look at what's been published, research. We have a listserv for zoo vets that people will ask each other. People who are specialists in those species will reach out. So if people have like tiger questions or tenrex or any of those others, they'll call me to try to help with that. And I think the good thing is that a lot of veterinarians working in this field and in general are very willing to help you out. So if there's something you've never done before, maybe nobody else has either, but they're at least willing to say, well, if I was doing it, maybe try this. I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate the team perspective. And for a lot of zoo medicine, you're not operating alone. You're very much working as a team and collaborating as a team to be able to provide the best care. Yeah, absolutely. Just to have that, that soundboard of people to bounce ideas back and forth when you're dealing with something that's maybe never been dealt with before, which means your job's never boring. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. If you're like me, you want to improve your skills. And for many of us in the veterinary field, that means improving your surgical confidence. That's why Vet Candy created a master course in surgery. The master course provides veterinarians and veterinary students with focused education on surgery. The program is taught by a board-certified veterinary surgeon and delivers a thorough evaluation of the science, surgical environment, and skills needed to create and maintain a surgical practice. And what's even more exciting, The course is free and also provides race and New York State approved continuing education credits. Plus, when you complete the modular program, you receive a certificate of completion and exclusive marketing tools to celebrate your accomplishment. This program is brought to you by PRN Pharmacal. You can start taking it for free today at myvetcandy.com slash surgery. And with getting boarded or ZooMed in the United States. So there's, you know, fewer than 300? Not very many. Basically, there's two routes to doing it. There's doing a residency and then taking the exam, or there's an experiential route. So the experiential route is six years of full-time zoo, exotic, wildlife, or aquatic medicine experience. And then the requirements now are three 
lead author publications beyond a case report. So in addition to that, for the experiential, it'd be the six years and the three publications. And then you sit for a two-day examination and you have to pass that. Yeah, I believe um, Dr. Lila Proenza did the second one where she worked in like zoological areas of medicine for a while to sit her board. She's originally from outside the U.S. and came here and had to get her certifications here. For anyone listening, that episode's in April of 2021, if you want to hear her story as well. Yeah, I did the experiential route as well. Yeah, so I, I did two internships and then went straight to a zoo job. I did have a residency offer, but at the time, it wouldn't work out timing-wise for me to take it. And so I ended up just doing the experiential route. So I'd still say there's people that do both ways. I think it's one of those situations where if you need more help studying or you want more of a structure in it, yeah, uh, I think that that's better for some people. And I'm not saying that it's still not competitive to get those residencies. There's uh, in the 20s of residency available per year. Sometimes there's more, sometimes there's less. And For the experiential route, you definitely have to go outside your comfort zone more, maybe have some more work someplace with a mentor or have a situation where you're willing to give it a go or do it by saying, hey, I'm going to call someone up, find out how to do this and then just do it. Uh, So you have to have a bit of confidence in your skills to do it that way. Yeah, absolutely. I really like the idea of doing it as a... um like an experiential route of taking all that time. It might be a little bit longer of a path, but then you still get to kind of dictate where you go and you don't have to stay at one place for a residency if you want to move around and do different things. It's certainly true. It is a bit more uh, challenging to do it the experiential because you have to still read all the books, study for the test. And sometimes when you're having a real job, like they don't say, oh, you can have a study day. It's not the easier route per se. There's actually, uh, anecdotally, I don't necessarily have like full-on proof, but the people who do residencies tend to pass faster uh, the exam just because it's been more like directed study and perhaps more study time. But that's experiential. If you are able to set yourself up with a study group, Again, make sure that you get through all the material because there is quite a bit. You have to know a little bit about everything. That it, It's still challenging, but it can be done. Yeah, absolutely. And does the ACZM have a, um, like a certain list of different things? Like for the NAVLI, we had our top you know, differentials that are the main points of the exam. Is that similar for that boarded test? There's a reading list that's posted every year on the ACZM website that has this is all the stuff you have to read. And this is all the stuff you have to know. Uh, Usually it's like certain core books and then journals within the last five years from the time of taking the exam. So it's a decent chunk of information. Yeah, I can imagine, you know, any board certified specialization is quite an intense exam. (laughs) Very true. It's very true. And how is it? I know in your um, paper that you published with the survey that you did, um, it, it talks about the two paths into residency 
And then some of the struggles associated, you know, sometimes more specifically to women because we have the children, but just building a family in general can be quite challenging for someone who wants to go into zoo medicine specialty. I think the biggest challenge, I guess, for zoo medicine in general is that it frequently involves a lot of moving. So like for my example, I went to school at Michigan State and then I commuted to Ohio. So it wasn't as far for an internship and then moved to California to get some experience, then moved to Oregon, then moved back to Michigan, then back to California, and then to North Carolina. So that's some pretty massive moves. So I think that's something, especially with kids and especially as kids get older and they're in school, it's hard to do. And it's very disruptive, at least for like, for my family, uh, we really took that into account for what we were doing. And then also it limits, okay, for certain zoos that may be in an area like, okay, are the school districts good there? Even if I get a job, do I want to go there for that? And veterinary medicine is a whole, we're not paid well overall completely to like the human medical profession. So selecting where you can live and where you can afford to live and then schools and then, oh, do, are the public schools not good? Do I need to be able to afford to pay for private school or, you know, all of these different factor into that. And I think overall, just everything with kids and families, profession-wide, medical school-wide, women are waiting to have kids. So that doesn't necessarily help with, you know, fertility either. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, just going to vet school and like without even thinking about specialization yet, you know, you're a minimum of 25, 26 years old when you graduate. And then you know, you decide to do a internship or residency specialties, some other things, you know, you're looking at 30, 32, maybe before you could even start to think about those type of things. And it's challenging to be asking so much of our colleagues while sacrificing so much also. So people really have to think about the balance and, you know, some people don't want a family and that's perfectly fine. Um, And they have, you know, the gung ho to just give everything to their career. And that's perfectly great. But, um, you know, there's still a lot of people that want to be able to have both and it's quite challenging. It's very true. And I mean, so if you're specializing and you do the internship residency route for zoo medicine, it could be eight years post-graduation from vet school. Uh, So that's quite a bit. And then it's student loans on top of that and being able to afford student loans, being able to afford what you're doing, having childcare, someone who can care for them, being able to afford childcare, like all of those things can factor into it. And then if you have fertility issues and you're trying to have a child in your thirties or later, then you may have to have fertility specialist appointments that frequently are not covered by insurance. And so it can be a lot of money. And then you have to select which career can I best afford that in? Yeah. And even, you know, finding a spouse that can jump around with you. It's a lot to be able, I mean, maybe now more people work from home and it might be a little bit easier, but traditionally 
jumping from, you know, coast to coast or, you know, back from the Midwest to each coastline, it's not easy on any family to be able to uproot like that. Yeah, no, I fully agree. And then, yeah, just being able to even find someone to put up and all that, having the dating, you know, et cetera. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Hey, this is Dr. Julio Alonso. Do you want to keep up with everything Vet Med? Then check out my show on Vet Candy TV. We talk about clinical updates, science news, plus some of the coolest people in our profession. Stream at My Vet Candy 24-7 on YouTube, iTunes, and most other video platforms. Yeah, having the time to, you know, I mean, there's online dating now, so maybe that helps, but it's still quite, <laughs> quite difficult. <laughs> And no one really understands, you know, when you're in vet school that if you don't answer your phone for a week or two, it's not because you don't like them. It's because you are buried in everything vet school. <laughs> um, so, it, yeah, it's definitely challenging. And I've seen relationships form and end all through vet school. Some A lot due to those different strains. And sometimes, you know, there's just uh, a misunderstanding there that um, some some people just aren't equipped to, I guess, deal with the fact that, you know, someone's career is so all-encompassing at moments that it doesn't always make it. So many of us went into this profession, you know, and had an idea of this is what I want to do and this is what I'm going to do. And I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to get that way. And then reality, oh, I, I actually need money to live or I actually can't move because, you know, my spouse you know, and their job or my partner and their job, or after you have kids, it's like, well, I have to stay by my family because free childcare, you know, like I I can't afford that. There's many things that can happen that limit your ability to do things and you have to change and decide what to do. And I, I think that's the beauty of that med is that there's so many different job options And so many different things that you can do that it's really great that way. But it can also be for some of these professions that are very competitive or hard to get in and you put so much of yourself into it, then it's like, I'm too far to quit now kind of thing or the guilt for that uh, because I put all my life on hold for this career. And now I have this career and now, you know, now what? Right. Yeah, it's um, pretty in-depth, complicated self-conversations that have to happen. I know I've had some of them too with deciding on what I want to do with my career path and where I want to move, if I want to move again, starting a business, you know, all those things kind of complicate life, I guess, into deciding what moves next because I try to see three steps ahead and say, oh, if I chose this, you know, these doors could open, but if I choose the other way, then this could open, or maybe there even is a third way um, that things could work out. So every decision can drastically change everything. Yeah, no, certainly. And I mean, and sometimes it's the door that you didn't know (laughs) open. And so there's certainly many things that I, I never would have thought that I would have done. And even in vet school, like I was not 
fan of epidemiology and now I have a master's and I'm board certified in it, you know, kind of thing. So it's like, no, never. And then it's like, oh yeah, I did that. Never say never. <laughs> right. Exactly. I guess the, I forget who said it, but you know, it's when one door closes, another one opens. And sometimes those doors slam in your face and you can take some time to cry. And then another door will open and that one's meant for you and it's going to be better. So it's okay. <laughs> very true. That's very true. I mean, I don't want to discourage anyone for the profession. And I mean, I can always talk people into it. I can also talk people out. And if I do, then, then you shouldn't go to that school if I can talk you out. But, and also I don't want to discourage people away from having families. I, I think it certainly can be done, but you certainly need to think of all the aspects and do you have a support structure? And I've been very lucky to have a very supportive husband who's helped a lot. So that has been something that's been very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Having a supportive partner and family around you makes a world of difference. And just knowing that you should have these discussions with yourself is important because if you really love Zoomed and you're gung-ho about it, then you just need to make adjustments accordingly and, you know, maybe know that you might have to put off having a family or you could just say to heck with it and get pregnant in your residency. I don't know. I mean, there's been, you know, equine surgeons that have gotten pregnant in their residency. So you can make it happen and it's not going to be easy. And people are probably going to try to discourage you from doing it. But if you want to do it where there's a will, there's a way. So if you want to get it all done, then you just, have to keep pushing forward in it. Yeah. And I mean, I actually got pregnant for the first time in my second internship. So it worked out. It was fine. I finished my program. And then I ended up having my daughter like three days after I started my first real job. (laughs) So that was, it wasn't, it was like an emergency C-section. So it was like, oh, sorry guys. But I mean, it still all worked out. Everyone's fine. But I think probably the biggest thing is a lot of people are are especially all of us type A veterinarians that are like, I'm going, to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get the dream job. Here's step A, B, C, D, E. I'm going to do all those. And then I'm going to have a perfect family and it'll be wonderful. And then you forget that your eggs are like, not so much. I have heard other veterinarians who have been promoting like freeze eggs and think of that earlier. So you do have options. and. Not that it's wrong to wait. I mean, there's a lot of people who are having children later in life and it's fine. But if you're planning on it being natural, it may be very hard and being aware of that and taking that into account. And so that could be something too with, you know, some of the results I found is that maybe people never had those conversations or never had that thought cross their mind. I mean, I certainly never thought about that. and could also affect why not as many have kids or have perceived ideas of how kids could affect their careers. Right. Yeah. I think it's kind of unfair that men are fertile basically until they die. And then we are not, (laughs) but yeah, it's, it's pretty intense, you know, I mean, and life just happens. So you can always chase that career and yeah, have your baby in your internship or in your residency. Like it's not that it can't happen. It just makes life challenging. Um, But, you know, time management is golden skill time management and, you know, just having that support system and, you know, knowing that you won't have a lot of free time or maybe sleep during that time. 
I think a lot of people don't want to do that because they feel guilty about the extra work or that they'll somehow be a burden on someone else or they don't want to ask for help. And that's also another like common vet thing where I need some help. And that's like the hardest thing to say. Yeah, it definitely, you know, all those type A's just want to do everything perfect all by themselves all the time. And it just, life isn't like that. (laughs) It's such a hard thing to do sometimes, but it's honestly freeing when you do it because it's better to just ask for help. No one's going to, you know, think you're a bad vet or a bad person because you can't put the whole world on your shoulders by yourself all the time. I definitely don't, you know, I usually try really hard to do everything by myself and then have a turning point and ask for help (laughs) when I realize I've exhausted all other options, but it's something that I try to ask for earlier now um, because it just makes life easier. And you're like, Hey, I actually can't do this by myself. So I'm asking to see if you can help me. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Hey, this is Dr. Quincy Hawley, and I'm here to tell you about a new show. It's Vet Candy Rounds with the Hawleys. That's right, Dr. Tierra, the love of my life, and I have teamed up to bring you the most fascinating cases in the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or a podcast platform of your choice only on Vet Candy Radio. What would you say to someone that is in vet school or in pre-vet that wants to be in Zoom Med um, and is thinking about all these things, listening to this podcast, what advice or different points of wisdom would you give them if they are really gung-ho about being zoological veterinarian? I mean, first of all, I've talked with some others and zoo medicine is a great field. Like it really is. You get to work with some of the coolest animals. You get to help prevent extinction of some animals. There's so many different things that you can do that it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of work. And I think it's definitely something that as a student, if this is something you're interested in, I would certainly look into it. I would start to talk to people. I know it's like the time of Zoom right now or everything virtual. But that said, there's still like virtual meet and greets or online journal clubs or rounds or things like that. Those do exist. And the Association of Zoo Vets has worked on trying to expand those and to maintain connection. So I would say try to get connected when there's meetings, <laughs> go to them if you can, or even attend virtually uh, to learn as much as you can about it. So it's very similar. When you went to apply for vet school, you had to get at least 200 hours or depends on the school. You needed to get some experience before you even applied. So it's if similar, get the experience, see if it is what you think it is. It's not bottle feeding tigers all the time. There's some really 
not fun things that happen. And there's also a lot of politics. If you mess up on something at a zoo, and even if you don't mess up, but like an animal dies, they always blame the vet. So you could be front page news. And that's certainly something that does happen. And it can be very stressful, just like any job. So I would encourage people to be like, okay, find out, find out. Like, is this something that you can do? It's not all conservation. You don't graduate necessarily and like, I'm going to study in Africa and do all these really cool things. Like that usually takes most people five, 10, 20 years to even set up something like that. So finding these things out and seeing what's the work that's entailed. If you are like, yes, I still really want to do it. Most of the time for some of the very popular like externships for clinical years are set up by the end of second year. They fill up quickly. So finding out, making connections, finding out when things are due, what you need to apply and getting those things set. And if you're interested in an internship or residency, try to do an externship at the place that you want an internship so you can get to know the people find out is it good for like you're interviewing them too it's not just the way around find out can I do this can I work with these people do I like this you know kind of scenario then after graduation most people do a small animal rotating although you can also do a large animal rotating but I would say the majority do a small animal rotating internship just to gain all the hands-on I mean I place a catheter, you know, not very often uh, anymore mm-hmm. in the faculty, it's mostly the residents, but I did so many when I, I actually did private practice, but I did so many working in emergency that I can do it now. So for those times when you need to do it, you need to have those skills. So working in an intensive environment gives you those skills to benefit that endangered species you may be working on later. Uh, After that, people will usually do either a specialty internship or go straight into a residency. Or you may do another specialty internship and then a job. Both are great. There's not as many uh, residencies as there are people who are interested. Uh, And there's also people that you could work in private practice and you can be a contract vet. So you can provide vet care for your local zoo. Uh, that's either Association of Zoos and Aquariums or AZA accredited or not, those animals still need care too. I would just encourage you if you're doing like small animal and zoo work, make sure you get some training and don't just like go out there and I can treat this animal and then get in over your head is probably what I see the most often is people are like, yeah, I'm treating a tiger. That's cool. Oh, no idea what I'm doing. Make sure to be realistic with yourself of what your limitations are for skills, knowledge, and also equipment and even uh, technical help. So if you're all set to see something, but you're completely on your own, most of the time it's not going to go well. So yeah, so that those are basically usually the pathway from like beginning to end to get it. There's at least a job or two a month that is posted on the Association of ZVETS website for various sizes, small, medium, large. So there's definitely jobs that are out there and then people that are looking. Again, it can be competitive if there's only two jobs a 
month. So find ways to get the skills and to make your application stand out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think professional networking is so underrated, you know, especially when everyone's more digital these days, having a LinkedIn profile and having, um, you know, following all these things that you want to be interested in connecting with different people that work at zoos or vet schools and talking to them and asking them about their experiences and, you know, what you're interested in. And you never know who can, you know, connect you with someone else that might lead to an internship or a residency because veterinary medicine is such a small and very oddly well-connected community that everyone knows each other either from school or for their internship or from somewhere that they work. You're only like two or three vets away from someone who you want to talk to. So, you know, just putting yourself out there and really trying to get all the information you can from other veterinarians and different people that work at the zoos and showing how passionate you are about them can really go a long way because they want a well-rounded applicant, you know, obviously good in their studies, but they also want to know that they can work with you. Um, and that you're going to be a great addition to their team and someone that they actually want to see every day. <laughs> I think it's almost changing like everyone is it's not necessarily the skills you have. I can teach you skills. It's I'm with you every day. <laughs> so, or can I work with you under stressful circumstances, which COVID has been just like a hot mess of that. Yeah, absolutely. Just personality compatibility is, is huge because you're going to be doing all this crazy stuff and you want to make sure that you can communicate well and do well under stress and, you know, learn everything that you can and soak up all the information. So it's super, super important interpersonal skills. We'll be right back with more vet candy. Vet Candy Life is a talk show hosted by well-being gurus, Dr. Quincy Hawley and Renee Michelle. Each episode features expert tips, lifestyle advice, and real-life experiences from the most interesting people in the world. Check it out on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and more. Well, thank you, Dr. Harrison, for joining me on this episode today. It was Great to hear about your research and your crazy traveling path in ZooMed is just so inspiring. And I hope that any of our listeners that want to go into ZooMed are reinvigorated today because we want to make sure that you know it's a challenging path, but it is also a doable path if you're aware of the obstacles. We're trying to make it so that you don't make the same mistakes that anyone else in this path has made. So anything that we can do to help make your path easier is what we're here for and to bring these great voices to you guys that have gone through all this and have experienced all this and can give their wisdom back to the next generation, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, So we hope you enjoyed this episode today and we'll see you next time. This has been Vet Candy IRL and I'm Shannon Gregoire. It's 
Vet Candy. Vet Candy. Vet Candy. It's Vet Candy Radio.